Hello to everyone out there. Uh, we do have a lot of participants today, so thank you everyone for taking time out of your day to join us. I'm very excited to be um, part of the initiative here in Harbor Beach, um, Michigan, and it is called Community Connections. I am the lead trainer and was involved in developing the initiative. Um, it is an initiative that um, got its beginnings from the uh, Harbor Beach Community Hospital. And so, um, and to give you just a little idea of my background, um, it, it's interesting how our lives uh, change and journey um, through different phases. Uh, but I have spent uh, time in education, um, health education, as well as um, working with coalitions in the community. I have um, worked with early childhood system change. And um, through this, uh, one of the benefits I think I've received is uh, the ability to stand back and try to see um, work from a variety of perspectives. And that's been really exciting about implementing the Bridges model, is that it does have um, something for everyone, and um, it's a very, very comprehensive model. How I became involved in the initiative is um, I've been doing consulting um, for about 18 years now. And as many of you from rural areas know, um, often people wear many hats, and when a special project comes up, there's very little time in anyone's schedule to work on that or to implement it. And so through my uh, leap of starting my own business, I found that I was able to meet a lot of those needs. Um, I started working with the Harbor Beach Hospital about 17 years ago, and we've uh, implemented a number of projects. Um, this one is started in um, 2013. It is a direct result of their community health needs assessment. And for those of you who are not familiar with that, when the Affordable Care Act was passed, there was a requirement that any community-based hospital would complete a needs assessment every three years. And so in, in 2012, um, the hospital and I worked together on trying to assess the needs. And what we discovered was that without addressing some of the economic and social conditions of the community, it was going to be very difficult to change uh, the issues um, related to health in our community. And so that led us down this path. And I'm going to share with you today um, our journey. Um, hopefully it will be helpful to some of you as you are embarking on your own journeys um, to address issues related to poverty in your community. I thought I would start by just talking a little bit about um, poverty in rural America. And Neighbors um, Works um, has a great publication um, related to um, some statistics and um, what is available. Um, one of the things that I found interesting when I started uh, doing work in this area was that there are a ton of definitions for what is rural. Um, at one point, there was over 200 federal definitions. So um, for the purpose of this um, information today, I'm just going to share with you a couple of the main ones that people use. So the U.S. Census Bureau identifies three types of areas. They identify urban areas of 50,000 or more people, um, urban clusters that have a population of 2,500 to 50,000, and then everything else is rural. That is one uh, definition. Also, we have... Um, Another definition that comes from the Office of Management and Budget, and it works with counties to divide them into three different categories. Uh, one is metropolitan, uh, which again is similar to the census, uh, populations of 50,000 or greater. And then micropolitan, which is a little bit bigger than the um, earlier definition, 10,000 to 50. And then non-core or everything else. So rural kind of gets um, that everything else category. Uh, there are lots of tools um, to find out if you meet rural specifications, um, but uh, it can be somewhat complicated because some funding streams are limited to rural um, or not lim um, available in rural communities. So that has been something I've found the need to have to identify. What we do know is that there are some unique challenges for um, rural populations that are in poverty. Um, we know that uh, the census shows that we've been experiencing population loss in rural communities. Um, there's a lack of density and, and challenges of scale. Um, 
we see that in our hospitals, our local hospitals, with the uh, scale of the number of patients and the types of equipment, the expenses, the overhead, um, it becomes more challenging to meet the needs of a population. And I think you see that across most industries, not just um, healthcare. There's also a lack of accessible transportation and other vital infrastructure. Um, even phone service in some rural areas is a major challenge. Uh, so of course that lends to not only um, the issue of poverty, but safety, um, being able to access emergency services. Um, so transportation, other infrastructure is lacking in many rural communities. Also the absence of services. Um, many services are wearing many hats, trying to fill all the needs, uh, but there is an absence of um, often navigation services or services to help people know where to get started. In some of our rural communities, because of the natural resources, we've seen a lot of resource extraction, but with the change of our economy, that has become less of a mainstay as far as economic uh, feeder to you know lumber, um, Agriculture is still very big in some rural communities, but some of our natural resources um, have been um, either depleted or there's been a shift away from them. Uh, there can be a structural bias, um, a bias to um, politically. Um, there's not many people in some rural communities, and so um, making sure that from a political standpoint, um, the voice of rural is heard is important uh, because uh, being able to serve more people is sometimes seen as a benefit. And then often we have hopelessness and lack of identity. Um, we've, I've noticed over the many uh, years I've been doing this work that um, the nature of rural is changing. We, um, due to people moving frequently, um, there's more people moving into our areas. Um, many of the younger generation are moving out. Um, and many of those people can feel very isolated. Um, it can be sometimes uh, difficult to tap into that close-knit community that where people have known each other for generations or decades, and being a new person coming in, while it, it seems friendly, it can also feel um, like you're an outsider for a long time. And so that's another unique challenge of rural. Um, depending on the rural community, we have rural communities that have high uh, percentages of Native American populations, Hispanic, African American. In our rural community, we are um, we do not have a lot of ethnic diversity, um, but we do have a lot of socioeconomic diversity. Um, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on statistics, um, but these graphs come from uh, the report I mentioned earlier, um, Neighbor Works America, and they're actually census data to kind of show you the non-metro would be our rural areas, that um, there is a long-standing um, history of poverty in rural communities, um, exceeding at times the metro averages. Um, now, of course, we have pockets in metro communities where the poverty rate is extremely high, um, and so that metro is an average. Um, but we, I would notice that from 1959, we have seen a little bit of a closing of that gap, but over the last 30 to 40 years, there's still remained a gap between that um, non-metro and metro populations. Um, this is a general poverty. Uh, my next chart um, also looks at the percent of um, people that are, are poor um, in, uh, by residence. This is child poverty um, specifically. So, and we do notice that um, one of the rationales behind this is that often when people are having children, uh, they're in the early stages of employment and careers, and so their wages are typically lower to begin with. But we do see um, large differences between child poverty rates and overall poverty rates, and that's true for both metro and non-metro. And then deep poverty is another um, classification that is utilized. Um, and you can see here that um, while there, there's a little bit more overlap between the non-metro and metro, um, in the last five or so years, um, the rural or the non-metro has been a fair amount higher than the metro rates for deep poverty. And that is defined as about half of the poverty threshold. So enough about statistics. 
Um, to tell you a little bit about our Bridges journey, um, we started, um, actually before we started, um, there really wasn't in our local community, there were some county efforts, but not our local town, uh, a great focus on addressing poverty. Um, of course, there were lots of complaints um, and some giving from charities, but there wasn't any um, cohesive effort to address the issue of poverty in our community. So as a result of our hospital's community health assessment, the issue of socioeconomic status was brought to the forefront. Um, its link to health outcomes um, was identified, and we utilized a community advisory approach. So it wasn't just hospital staff that was recognizing this need. It was also the individuals in our community, the business people, the um, other um, residents that were sitting on this advisory committee that agreed that as people are um, in poverty or even at a low living wage, that they are struggling to meet those health needs. And if we were going to address population health, which is a new charge um, based on the community health needs assessment, that that was going to have to be something that the hospital addressed. Of course, as a hospital, that's not necessarily a traditional role uh, that is played. And so um, through a lot of contemplation, it was decided to uh, take this effort to the community and mobilize a community-based initiative. And that community-based initiative is our Community Connections Initiative. Um, we, of course, didn't know what we wanted to do initially. Um, we were very fortunate. We obtained two grants from the Office of Rural Health Policy. The first grant was a planning grant, um, and that helped us identify the Bridges model and also prepare how we wanted to respond to this issue. Um, one of the things that um, really attracted us to the Bridges model was the resource builder model. And that resource builder model, the comprehensiveness of it, we felt was critical. Um, knowing the complexity of um, not only the causes of poverty, uh, that we have many causes. It's not just individual behavior, which often is a fallback um, for many um, people who aren't familiar with the issue, is that there are a number of things that cause poverty. Also, that there is a number of ways to address poverty through the individual, um, lens through the um, institutional lens and then also through the community lens. And so um, through our planning grant, we identified this model um, and we're successful then in getting a second grant um, from the outreach um, arm of the Office of Rural Health Policy to implement the resource builder model. Our goal um, and our theory is to use this model to address social determinants of health. Um, for those of you who are not familiar with social determinants of health, uh, that became uh, very relevant from some research over the last five to ten years. Um, social determinants of health have been uh, linked to the overall health of individuals as well as the community. A lot of that research came from the um, issue of our nation being one of the wealthiest nations in the world and having some of the worst outcomes. And leaders in that field are um, David Kindig, uh, an MD from the University of Wisconsin. If you have heard of the county health rankings, he is one of the lead researchers that has um, built that system and the work behind it. And according to his research, uh, there are um, four main factors uh, that influence someone's health. Um, and coming from this from a hospital perspective, of course, um, knowing that clinical care only impacts 20% of health was somewhat um, discouraging because obviously that is where a lot of traditional work um, and improvement efforts have been focused. Uh, when we look at the two biggest areas, behaviors and socioeconomic factors, you see that 70% of our health, um, according to Dr. Kindig's work, is related to those two categories. Um, his work is not alone. A uh, second researcher that we had um, looked at as we completed our planning project was Stephen A. Schroeder, an MD from the Department of Medicine in the University of California. And you will see that he's added a couple of additional, um, I'm sorry, one additional category, which is genetics. And so, but even adding genetics into 
the piece of the, the puzzle or the pie, uh, you can see that combining socioeconomic factors and behaviors is still more than half of our health status. And so this research is not only locally but nationally pointing very clearly to the um, importance of addressing those issues in order to improve health conditions. So what did we do? So through our implementation project, um, we have been chipping away at the resource builder model. Um, we are working on all six tracks of the resource builder model. Um, we have our community leadership team. Um, we also have been training and working with uh, local school districts. Uh, our healthcare um, institution has um, done training of administrators and staff. Uh, one area that we've recently expanded over the last six months is working with our county jail. Um, we are implementing the Getting Ahead While Getting Out program um, in the uh, county jails. And then uh, two areas where we really just have touched on and it's kind of our next frontier are um, workplace programs and working more with higher education. So as we implemented these um, models, we of course um, have been very involved with the Bridges trainings. Um, we have been uh, very excited to learn um, each of the new tracks. Um, I didn't mention through our community um, work, we also provide the Getting Ahead program. Uh, well, um, in that program we have um, 39 graduates um, over the last 18 months. So we've been um, really working hard to help people um, learn about resources and what they can do in their um, individual lives. And um, we also have a leadership team. Uh, we have all three classes represented. However, um, we find, and I think this might be true in some other rural communities, that it, it's more difficult for us to tap into the wealthy uh, category of the classes. Um, there isn't a lot of overt wealth um, or people that fit a lot of the patterns that we see in wealth in our local rural community. So we've struggled a little bit there, but um, we feel we have somewhat all three classes represented. Um, we have those getting ahead graduates, um, our getting out graduates. We're doing our second uh, class right now um, and have been getting good um, feedback from the people who have participated. We've also done a number of community trainings from the Bridges Out of Poverty model. Um, and because um, we are a, a town within a county, many of our services are county-based. And so we have uh, extended invitations across the county to service providers um, because when people are working with um, our social services or our health departments or our court system, they are all county-based. And so we have um, really worked hard to outreach um, to those county-level providers and have had a number of them participating in our trainings as well. Um, we were very excited. Um, in March 2017, um, we became a local area consultant um, through the AHA process. Um, and we um, decided to go this route because as we presented trainings, um, people from other counties would hear about us um, who weren't our direct partners. And we'd get requests. And so we are, um, it's a new venture and we're learning as we go. Um, but we are, are getting more and more requests to do trainings in other communities. And so we are um, trying to grow slowly because one of the things we have learned is to try not to grow too fast um, to make sure you have the capacity. And so we are um, excited about the opportunities in other school districts, in healthcare institutions, to be able to do uh, training as a local area consultant. So that is a pretty new venture for us, and that has been um, taking off quite well. Um, so one of the first things we did in our planning grant is we established our vision and our mission, um, and then created some values. Um, this was actually prior to our um, adopting the Bridges model, and one of the things that um, I was very happy about is that these initial thoughts of our leadership team, of our community members, aligned with the things that the Bridges model had to offer. And so um, 
in, in a, over the years, I've been involved with a number of initiatives, and sometimes you feel like you're putting a, a round peg in a square hole, um, and the Bridges model just felt right. Um, it felt like it had a lot of the key um, elements that we were looking for as we um, moved forward with our initiative. I wanted to give you a sense for how um, we operate and what kind of services we provide through Community Connections. So with our implementation grants, um, we are seeking to pretty much become a gateway for individuals that are struggling financially um, and have low resources. Um, in our community in the Harbor Beach area and surrounding communities served by the hospital, um, we have about 52% of our population that is um, struggling to get by and to you know come up with this definition um, we utilize the uh, 2012 Alice report some of you might be familiar with that um, Alice is a name but it's an acronym um, it stands for assets limited income constrained employed but if you search if you're interested you can search for the Alice report um, it's been compiled by the United Ways of many of the states it is not nationwide, not all states um, participated, but um, it actually utilizes data to calculate a cost of living by county. And so when it, they're giving you the number of people who are in um, financial difficulties, they're using your local cost of living, which is very important to us because the cost of rent, the cost of food, the cost of everything in a rural community is not always the same as what it is in larger or suburban and urban communities. And so this report um, became a very valuable tool for us to really understand what the issues were we were facing. And we estimated from that report that we, in our hospital service area, have probably around 3,000 people that are um, in that category. Um, these are individuals that are often one crisis away um, from uh, poverty and not being able to meet their basic needs. Um, it might be a, a flat tire or it might be a medical issue. Um, and being able to assist people to create more stability in their lives has become a, a key focus of Community Connections. Any way that we can help people um, gain more stable circumstances um, is definitely something we strive for. And so um, as we undertook this initiative, we, of course, were starting a little bit from ground zero as far as how were we going to do this in our local community. So we knew we needed some place for people to go. And, and we wanted a place that was comfortable, that wouldn't have stigma, that people could come um, regardless of what they qualify for. And so with our funding source, we had that kind of flexibility. And so anyone can walk in our door. We actually are located, um, half of our building is a, our local credit union. The other half is our offices. So when people walk through the door, people really don't know if they're going to the credit union or coming to Community Connections. Um, we also are within walking distance of our low-income apartment complexes. And so that was a, a key factor for us as far as identifying a location. And, you know, typically the first step is what I've put on the screen is that, you know, we outreach to the community and people come in uh, for information and referral. Um, for those of you who already work with people in poverty, um, you often know what brings them through the door is a crisis. And so we focus on what their greatest need is for them. And then we work with them to assess other needs. Um, we while we want to help people um, solve their immediate urgent issues, we also want to um, help them work towards more long-lasting stability. And so um, through that, we look at things like, do they have a medical home? Are they, do they have insurance? Um, we make a lot of referrals um, and try to connect them with things like basic needs um, support. Um, we also... Um, in addition to providing information, uh, we're a key referrer um, for many um, public services. And so we have worked really hard to remove some of the system barriers for people. 
Um, you know, the stories that, you know, people would tell us, you know, well, we go to the agency, then we don't have the paperwork we need, then they're frustrated, then we have to get on our transportation bus back home and we have to go another day. And so we're able to um, reduce some of those issues for people. Um, we know what they need when they go. So if they see us first, which they can just walk to us, then we can help make sure that they have everything they need before um, they arrange for that transportation, whether it's our county bus service or whether it's a friend, those transportation services are a critical link um, to getting a lot of those services. So we don't want to make sure that those trips and those um, efforts are as productive as possible. So that's a lot of what we do in our information and referral services. Um, we end up, once we've assessed and start working with someone, kind of move more into a case management role um, as well. Uh, but that's kind of our key entry point. Um, once people uh, become a, uh, comfortable with our staff, um, often we invite them to take place in our education programs. Our key program is our Getting Ahead program. Um, in a getting ahead world, uh, that is the Bridges um, program for people who are living at, with limited resources. And, but we also offer other um, education programs. Our graduates uh, are our advisors. They help us identify what's needed, whether it's a couponing class or a class on diabetes and managing your nutrition. And so we've offered a variety of different programs to meet those unique um, needs. We've also been able to partner in our community. Our local bank has helped us provide basic finance and budgeting classes. And so um, those are things that we find are very important um, because sometimes um, people don't have the knowledge um, and have a hard time navigating those issues. So in addition to the education, we also want to help people work towards employment. And so we have a, a coaching program, a life coaching um, program. Um, we encourage and help people find volunteer opportunities. Um, and through the alumni group that we have for Bridges graduates, we see a lot of peer mentoring naturally developing. Um, we connect them with um, organizations like our um, Michigan Works offices to help them identify training that they might be able to um, get. Um, and then uh, possibly even some job tutoring. We're trying to get a GED program off the ground right now. We've had interested people, but follow through has been uh, a little lacking. So we're working on that, but we know that that's a big barrier for many of our people is not having a GED or a high school diploma. And then, um, as I mentioned earlier, we're really just starting to work with our employers. And so that's our, our next um, frontier. Um, but we are looking at trying to do some job placement and maybe even coaching on the job. Um, we have partnered with Michigan Rehab Services. So we do have those services for people who have identified disabilities and qualify. We're able to partner with them. But for people who don't qualify for those services, um, they don't necessarily have that support right now. And then, of course, um, independent, sustainable um, education, higher education, potentially, or work is one of our ultimate goals for individuals. Um, one of the things that we did notice um, is we, our first clients that became connected with our programs, we had a lot of senior citizens. And so this green box um, at the end here was not really part of their goals or part of their plans. Um, we have been working really hard through some uh, community outreach to bring in people who are of a more work age um, that have uh, potential employment opportunities. And so that is something we're working on and we've seen a lot of growth in that area. And then the last thing we felt really um, important to include is ongoing follow-up and support. Um, we felt that um, this is, you know, people who are going through this really a process of life change, um, two months, three months, even a year for many people was not going to be enough support um, to keep them 
in stable circumstances. And so we have worked really hard to offer that support um, through case management, but also through an alumni group that meets regularly. Um, they're actually looking at volunteer projects to work on now. So we're really excited about that ongoing support as well. Um, so what ties all this together is really um, some of the additional efforts. Um, some of the things that we've done, um, I think, that has helped make this successful is we were very um, focused on connections from the very beginning. We do not want to duplicate services. We do not want to create new services when services may already exist. So we have worked really hard to build a referral network and to partner on projects. Um, in one of the projects we've recently partnered with our Department of um, Health and Human Services is a food backpack program in our schools. And so um, we certainly want to um, certainly want to help people um, with that. The other thing that we've done is um, focus on outreach um, in meeting needs. So um, as as gaps or needs arise in our local communities, we've tried to meet those. Um, one example is um, we have partnered with a church organization and a local business to be able to make um, access to the commodities program easier for our senior citizens and our low-income residents. Um, it had come to a point where they were going to have to try to um, travel 20 um, miles one way to um, get these services, and we've been able to, um, our, actually our local furniture store drives the 20 miles, brings the commodities um, food back, and then our church organization helps us deliver it to the residents. So that has been just one example of where we saw a need, um, worked with uh, community partners, to then fill that gap um, in, in our community, um, to help reach our younger families um, in that more employability age. We have offered story hours. Um, and, and while the story for children is happening, we also provide time where they can talk to other staff um, to find out about support for their family. Um, we've provided free movies um, through our local theater. Um, and uh, there is a slight cost to us for doing that, so we just have a free will donation, and quite honestly, it's always covered our costs. So we've been, um, that's been a great outreach um, for us. We're doing monthly columns in our county, uh, county's free paper, because we know a lot of people don't subscribe to paper publications as much anymore. Um, and we do presentations for our local leadership groups, uh, like Rotary's Lions Club, um, and then um, workshops, I've already mentioned those slightly, um, but we have focused on the school, community, our hospital, and also our EMS personnel. Um, and then, of course, um, recently we have become the local area consultants and um, have, um, I think, almost all the certifications between all of our staff. And so we are very excited. Um, about doing that in uh, the next over the next year, and and really finding out how that's going to hopefully grow, and um, not only help us with our getting the word out and the message into more communities, but also with building sustainability for our um, local programs. All right, so um, communicating results. Question about how we are tracking um, those that are getting it and those that are just getting through it. Um, is um, it's, it's first of all not necessarily an easy easy thing to track, um, but for those that are going through our Getting Ahead program, um, we do have um, a software program that we are using. Um, we use the Empower program, which is um, one that AHA Process has identified and recommends. They have a second one that's called Charity Tracker. Um, we opted for the Empower program because um, we were interested in having um, a tool similar to a patient registry, but because we weren't always dealing with health issues, um, we needed something that was more aligned with our social determinants of health issues. And so um, Empower seemed to fit that need well. So as people come in, we're able to um, enter their base information for the assessment, um, and then we can do follow-up assessments with them. And there is, um, for our Getting Ahead program, 
there is actually a section where we can put in the assessments of their resources. Um, and I, I didn't mention earlier, um, those of you that are familiar with Bridges um, probably already are familiar with this, but um, for those of you who are not, um, when we talk about poverty and resources, we make sure that our definition includes a wide range of resources. Financial is certainly one of them, um, but other resources like health, um, uh, cognitive abilities, uh, the social, emotional, um, mental health. Um, so those are all resources. And there are actually 11 identified resources. And so as part of the Getting Ahead program, um, they reflect and they complete resource assessments. As part of our grant projects, we have an evaluation um, that uh, we do a follow-up assessment um, and try to track how those um, changes are being sustained. And so um, we're using, to kind of sum up, we're using the Empower um, system to help track some of our results. Um, in the Empower system, we also um, do our case management. So we will indicate where the goals are for the um, individual, what they're working on. And we are um, very much focused on um, the technique of motivational interviewing and self-determined goals. Um, we, as Bridges often um, promotes or encourages, people need to be in charge of writing their future story. And so we feel that that has actually helped with the success of our efforts with individuals, is by identifying their own goals, what are their current crisis or their urgent needs, we then work with them to try to think outside of the present, because as we know, the tyranny of the moment um, of poverty causes people who are in poverty to focus on only today and what has to be achieved today. So through our um, case management, through our classes, we help them see the um, abstract more concretely. We help them hopefully see a timeline outside of today that they can be working towards um, future goals in a, a story that is more sustainable for them. And so, um, so we are able to track their goals and if they're um, achieving those. And so overall, we have, we have four basic tools that we're using to communicate and, and to track our results. Um, one is a dashboard. And our dashboard, um, we have four different um, areas that we measure. Um, one is um, our operations. We try to track, track how are things going operationally. Is our staff trained? Do we have to get new staff? Those types of things. Um, we also are looking at program impact. Uh, we have satisfaction surveys. We have our um, resource assessments. So we're looking at that evaluation data. Um, we're looking at engagement. How many partners are we engaging? How many volunteers? Um, we know that we absolutely cannot do this um, as a standalone organization. Um, it's through the partnerships and working with others uh, that we can really address the issue of poverty. Um, you know, Lynn used the term embedding changes. That's really what we're seeking to do. Um, we could have done the commodities program by ourselves. We could have figured that out. We could have used the hospital van. However, we felt that by engaging a, a business and engaging the faith community, um, that makes it, number one, more sustainable, but also helps to embed the information and the initiative into the actual community. Um, and then, of course, sustainability, which um, anyone out there who's worked with grants, that's always a challenging point, um, is how do we sustain what we started? Um, and so we are working very hard at that. Um, I cannot tell you that we have any easy solutions, um, but we are working towards sustainability um, and are looking at some services that we can offer. Um, our next frontier, working with workplaces, um, has some opportunities that we're going to be pursuing, um, but we're also, through our LAC, pursuing some opportunities as well. Um, the other things that we do to kind of communicate our results is we have an, a formal evaluation report that we will be preparing. We are in our second year of um, grant funding. Um, as many of you know, in rural areas, our numbers are not huge. 
Um, we do have between 175 and 200 active cases um, that we're working with. Um, and so we have a fair amount of um, people there. Um, but with 39 people having gone through our Getting Ahead programs, um, we haven't compiled a lot of those intensive evaluation results yet just because we want to have few more people in our sample size. So we will be doing that over the next um, uh, year uh, to try and put together that final evaluation report for our grants. Um, so that is another piece. Um, and we also are um, very focused on success stories. Um, I was really excited as I um, completed my Bridges recertification uh, by the four-part story that Phil Duvall shared with us. And so we've been actually utilizing that to reframe the success stories we had already collected. Um, so I just want to share one of them with you. Um, we have one client that before coming to Community Connections, she was uh, living in a very unsafe, unsanitary um, housing unit. Um, she also was struggling with hoarding behaviors. She came to us on the verge of having her rental unit condemned. Um, we were, our staff was very um, fortunate to be able to work with her to address her housing situation, which was her most important need right now. Um, we got her to downsize her possessions, um, and uh, that enabled her to move into a low-income apartment. Um, she also um, completed the Getting Ahead class. Um, she is now living within her space. Um, in addition to that, she started a volunteer uh, stuffed bear program for children who have experienced an emergency situation. And she is also a co-facilitator for the Getting Ahead class. So we're, we're very excited about that success story. Um, and we have many others. So in addition to hard data, I'm making air quotes, by the way, hard data, we also have our success stories that we feel are equally as important to share with people um, to know that we are making an impact on individuals. And then uh, lastly, um, we do have a strategic plan and are working on sustainability and economic um, growth um, for our um, community connections. So those are our four main um, things that we work on to communicate our results and to um, move us forward. Uh, just a few lessons learned um, and maybe some surprises. Um, one of the things that, um, you know, I guess maybe being naive is a good thing. Um, I would encourage you just get started. Um, identify where you have some motion, uh, some energy and support and try a piece of the Bridges model. Um, it, it, things grow from action. Um, that's what we found. As we completed one step um, or one component, um, it led to another opportunity. And so um, get started, and um, I'm sure all of you will see that you have growth and momentum behind you. Um, do plan to be hit with some resistance. Um, as you know, our Bridges education tells us um, the norms and the social cues we have based on economic class are very well ingrained. And so um, in our rural communities, I think um, we do have a sense, maybe more so, maybe not, but that pull yourself up by your bootstraps man mentality is very prevalent. Um, it may stem from the either the blue-collar or agrarian societies we often are rooted in, um, but we, we did see some of that, um, and it may be from where you, you may not expect them. Um, it could be from um, a leader in the community that you would never have thought would make um, maybe some comments that they make. So be prepared for that. Um, also, make sure you plan adequate resources um, for training staff and volunteers. Um, you know, it, that training is so critical. Um, you know, when I first heard of AHA process, I, I didn't quite get it until I w went through the training. And the AHA moments that people who go through training get are, I think they're irreversible. Um, once people are trained, it, it's like you can't unhear a bell. And it seems like that mindset shift is critical to moving the work forward. Um, one of the surprises um, that we had seen is as part of our Getting Ahead class, 
Um, and actually, I, I call it a class because that's what most of us are familiar with, but it's really a discussion group. Um, the participants are investigators, and so they're equally engaged in sharing the content. They're not um, lectured to. So there's a lot of um, individual reading. So people read sections of the workbook, then they, there's discussion, there's some application work. Um, and But through the reading, um, we have, without doing reading tests, we have um, seen a huge change in reading abilities um, from the start of the program to the end of the program. And, um, We've actually had some people with some pretty significant um, issues as far as social interaction, being very um, isolated and not being willing to interact. And by the end of the program, they've really been able to engage and come out of their shell some. So, so those kinds of things, while they're hard to measure, are certainly things that we've seen with our um, Getting Ahead class. Um, and then a couple of challenges, um, staff turnover. Um, you know, this is one that is a struggle, I think, in many organizations. Um, and so staff turnover, I think, is one of the key things we have struggled with. Um, but we uh, continue on. We recruit additional individuals um, and uh, have had a, a very good team, even with the staff turnover. And then, um, and I think in rural communities, um, this could be a pretty typical trend, um, but um, if you, you may need to look at what is a qualified staff member. And part of this is philosophical on our part because it's more important to us that the, our staff have the ability to create a rapport with our clients than it is for them to have formal education um, that doesn't discredit formal education. Obviously, formal education and degrees is extremely important. However, um, sometimes in our rural communities, it's very hard to recruit people who have degrees at all. And then when you do, to find someone who has the um, social skills to be able to interact well with our um, population is a challenge. So those are two challenges that we have um, been working on. So um, with that, I am to the, um, oh, uh, just I'm sorry, one more slide before questions, but um, our next steps, uh, we plan to continue to grow our leadership team. We want to um, grow our community engagement. Um, we're looking at Ally Friend Bridging Social Capital Support Program. Um, it's one of our, our weaknesses. I, we have strengths, but we also have weaknesses, and that's one we want to work on. And then our next frontier, the um, workplace stability and success coaching. Um, so those are all things that we are moving towards and are very excited about. So, um, so that is our local initiative here in Harbor Beach. Um, I'm looking at question here. Iowa is a state that moved the resource offices to more metro areas. So how do you handle transportation for those that want your services? So transportation, um, our local community, um, our county has a county transportation system. In our local community, um, the city of Harbor Beach, um, it's really not very big. Um, people with health issues may have a hard time walking um, from where they live to our office, but most people, um, it would be less than a mile to go from the outer edges of our city to our office. So to get to our office, is something that um, is pretty reasonable. It's one of the reasons we focused our efforts on our local town rather than trying to do something um, on a county level. Um, the county transportation system, while it definitely fills a great need, um, it also is a challenge. Um, it is 20 miles, but obviously if the bus is coming for one client, they're not going to have a direct route. Um, it's going to stop a few places. So typically what we see is the bus comes to our community once or twice in the morning. Then it goes to usually our county seats where a lot of our services and stores are located. And then in the afternoon, there may be a run back. So we have a lot of clients that end up, who use the system, end up waiting um, at appointments or waiting um, 
in areas like stores until they can get a transportation ride back. And so, um, so yes, it is something that is definitely a challenge. Um, we have um, talked about how to meet that challenge better, um, and we haven't been able to find a solution. What we hear anecdotally from our clients is that, and, and this is, I think, a pretty typical behavior with people who are under-resourced, is they use their um, social connections, their um, surviving capital to be able to get rides. And that's the most common way that they are getting where they need to go. Um, we do have, for medical appointments and things, we do have some access to a hospital vehicle. However, it's not been used probably as much as maybe it could be. But those are some of the things. We do use some of our grant dollars or donations that we get for bus passes uh, because it also it costs money. It's $5 one way. So um, if you're going with a child, you also have to pay for them. So sometimes the cost of the public transportation is also a barrier. Um, so actually commented in that they have volunteers to help with transportation. Um, so that would be an area that we would be interested in. Um, well, as Kay, this is Lynn. I know in Schenectady, New York, they also use retired individuals that have time. So it would be another volunteer option, but it's uh, going to a community of people that are past working age, but still want to give back to their community. Um, so I think transportation, and, and I work with Great Start um, initiatives across the state, and transportation comes up in almost every community, whether it's rural or urban. So transportation as a whole is an issue. Um, so I, I think it's one that there aren't any easy solutions. But um, thank you, Lynn, for sharing the idea of using retired individuals as an asset in the community. Um, but I also wanted to share with you, there is a um, county health ranking webinar coming up on September 12th, um, taking, um, tackling poverty in rural communities. So I thought I would share that with you if any of you um, were interested in uh, just another source for information. Um, I wanted to make sure you knew that was there. Um, I'll leave it there for a couple minutes if people want to uh, type that up there. Um, also, I'm, I'm glad to see my, uh, I'm going to give her a shout out, Laura Jenks is our program coordinator at Community Connections. Um, I hadn't talked to her right before um, coming on, but she joined us today and she wanted to let you know that some organizations um, are coming to our office, thank you for the reminder, Laura, um, so that they can use our office space to meet with clients. Um, to help also reduce the transportation issue. So rather than the client going to um, BADX or sometimes out of county for um, a meeting um, or an appointment, the service provider is coming to our office and connecting with them there. Thank you, Laura. Um, I'm the lead trainer, so I'm doing a lot of the professional development. Um, Laura and uh, Jill and Renee are the individuals working directly with um, uh, participants on a daily basis, and the, the wealth of information they have is unbelievable. So, um, so I thank them for their contribution to this effort. Um, it certainly is a team um, effort. We also have a key staff person at the hospital, Trish Van Norman, and she has been um, critical to making sure um, that the grants are, are implemented and the financial pieces. So um, so there's lots of uh, balls you have to keep in the air um, with a grant and with a new initiative. And um, so it takes all of us to make that happen. And, and I give them all credit for their roles as well. Okay, thank you so much for your time today. You're welcome. Thank you, Lynn. Thank you, everyone. Thanks, We're at everyone. 1 o'clock. Have a great day.